Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Hello. I'm really excited to be doing this book club today, actually. I know. It's taken us so long to kind of get around to one of the most hyped books of last year. Yeah, it has. And also, I'm kind of curious to hear what you think, Michelle, because I really didn't know a lot about this book, and I think I was surprised by that. So maybe we should (laughs) just get started, and I'll explain myself properly. Today, for book club... We are doing Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I don't know if that's how you say Garmus. <laughs> I've never said it out loud. Yeah, I think so. That's probably right, so. right? Yeah. Anyway, um, so Lessons in Chemistry, yes, as we've said, obviously like one of the most successful debut novels of the last couple of years. It was everywhere. Was it a Reese's I can't peak? remember if it was. I'm not sure if it was actually a Reese's Peak, but it's been like book of the year for like so many different yeah I think it was a Dimmick's book it was also yeah and in the most recent books in my bag readers award which just took place the other day uh Bonnie Garmus was listed as like breakthrough author of the year and I think uh from memory as well this book was um the fiction book of the year maybe I think or it was nominated at least shortlisted so many like books of the year of like an international bestseller if it wasn't a Reese yeah, thing, I definitely. think it was an Oprah thing, you know, like a lot of these like big, all of mm. these like big, big books. And yeah, I, it's one of those ones that I had been seeing everywhere, obviously, and just kind of never got to it. And I was like, what even is this book? And you just kind of see the colorful cover and I'm like, what even is it? And right around the time that you told me that you were reading it, Michelle, I guess I just had heard enough, you know, it's been a while now. It'd been like a year and a half or whatever since it came out or two years. And I'd just really started to hear enough people that I really trust their recommendations be like, no, I really enjoyed it. Like, you know, don't be put off by all the hype, that kind of stuff. And then you said you were reading it and you were like, but she's not even doing the cooking show yet. And I went, yeah, what? (laughs) And I realized... I truly knew nothing about Yeah, I was exactly the book. same. So I saw it everywhere last year and I was like, the blurb I think is really undersells it a lot. But then that also means that it appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. So um, for anyone who doesn't know anything about this book, um, it's sort of billed as being about a scientist who does this um, sort of kind of revolutionary cooking show in the 1960s but it's really not about Mm -hmm. that at all and I would have read it sooner if because I just picked up the book and I was kind of like yeah I mean yeah mm." I just didn't it didn't that blurb didn't sell it to me and I was sort of interested but also yeah sort of not that interested so anyway I again recommendations from friends I trusted um, which goes to show the power of recommendations Um, and 
I also found it in a charity shop for like a pound. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get it because worst case, if I don't like it, it was only a pound Um, because I really wasn't sure. I really didn't know. And sometimes I think that can be the way with like um, books that are really hyped on. I feel like this was more bookstagram than TikTok. Do you think... Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's necessarily like a TikToky one, but and maybe that was my. Um, I yeah, still so did I. I definitely it was a romance, like a more straight, con- like not contemporary. Obviously, I think I knew it was historical, but I think I thought it was, yeah, a bit more of, like a straight romance novel, fi- mm. you know, women's fiction kind of novel. Um, yeah, I. I don't know what I thought the chemistry was a play on in the title. I don't know why I didn't know about the cooking show <laughs> because there's a TV on the cover of the book. Like, it's one of these things that I'm like, how did about I not it. absorb yeah, no, anything I just knew about, the about this show. book? Obviously being so involved in this industry. Thing, I thought like it was going to be about the cooking show like right from the start and it's really not. Hence my text to you being like, yeah, she's not even doing mm-hmm. that yet. So yeah, it really took me by surprise. So <laughs> how, what would you say it's actually about then, Caitlin, for listeners who have been like us and not knowing anything about it? Yeah, or who are listening being like, you idiots, <laughs> how did you not know what this book is about? Um, so I would say this book is just about a very logical, smart and modern woman in the 1960s who is just trying to fight against almost every like sexist and misogynistic, you know, societal place she finds herself in, um, which I'm sure you can't put on a blurb and that's why it's not in the blurb. But obviously a lot of people, you know, <laughs> but it would get me reading. Yeah, I mean, that would appeal to me, but um obviously yeah some of these things are hard to explain but the gist of the story being obviously that she is a scientist is not taken seriously at her job even when she does fall in love with one of the other scientists and chemists who works at the same research institute he is of what would you say like he's more experienced more accomplished and so she doesn't want anything to overshadow her work so like she refuses to well, marry him technically technically he is because she's never been given the ch- well like, yeah she's never been given a proper equal. chance but she, she shouldn't been given yeah. a chance yeah but like she mm. wants to you know she doesn't want to be known as just his wife but then continuing on this same you know fighting against every sort of 1960s societal norm she finds herself in then when she has a child is you know people all around her judge her for how she raises her child and how you know she teaches her to read like so young and gets her into school younger and a lot of these things it's like why why aren't you normal why isn't she normal like all of these sorts of things and then again even when we then do get to the cooking show which is obviously a big part of the story as we've already discussed they want her to be this like happy stereotypical housewife making everyone dinner on the afternoon tv time slot and she's like well that's not what i'm gonna do and that's not who i am every single thing that's being told that she has to either want or accept as a woman Mm. um yeah it's just it's such a good book um obviously we both enjoyed it and i actually think that this might be one of my favorite books 
of the year. Like, I think this might make it into my top reads of the year. Wow, big call. I know, but we are nearly at the end of the year, which is a bit scary, isn't it? It really is. And I suppose we've got to start thinking about that and making our lists. I will be on, I'll make a guess now. I don't (laughs) think it will crack my top for the year. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I know we've talked about this before with like, overhyped books and you like then read it and you're like oh well Mm. like it was good but and like I enjoyed it and I'm glad I read it but yeah I don't I don't think it'll make my top books of the year I wouldn't say it like completely blew me away or anything I enjoyed it I do really want to watch the TV series with Brie Larson though yeah so I I'm not saying it like blew me away or anything like that but I think I think it's a really clever novel. I really enjoy the style, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. But I think for me, it's like the whole vibe of it as well. Mm. Like, I love Mad Men. Um, I think it really brings that, it's that sort of vibe. Um, And there's, I think it's that sort of whole like 1960s thing. um, And the whole sort of, yeah, setting and everything that I really really enjoyed and I actually think that it's 100% worth the hype like I think it's really it is very good I think it's an amazing it's an amazing debut and it makes me so happy to see an older woman being like lauded as like this breakthrough author and you know it's just absolutely wonderful um I've had this discussion with um my friend a bit of like there's been a couple um there's another one called the paper palace and i think that she's an older woman as well um and of course there's the appeal by janice hallett we obviously just interviewed janice and she was speaking to us about how many years she put into screenwriting and stuff and it's just like so exciting especially as we approach our 30s to have this because there's this whole idea of like you need to have done X, Y, Z by the time you're 30. Like, it's actually really nice yeah. to Life is long. There's a lot of time. ages. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much time. But, yeah, I was so impressed by it. Like, it is hard to believe that this is a debut novel. It's so It definitely well is. I think I'd forgotten while reading it that it was a debut and had been praised for being this amazing bestseller, like, as a debut novel. And then yeah maybe getting to the end or something and thinking oh like what else has she got or what else has she got coming and I kind of remembered again and I was like having read it it is very very impressive because um as you mentioned Mm. the style I really enjoyed the style of the book and the the style of the writing I should say and the structure of the book and the sort of not necessarily multiple point of views but slightly different points of view like you get these little snippets from different people and different um what's the do you thing? know what it reminded yeah. me of what it reminded me of mini darks rom-coms and we've spoken yes to before That's it's sort a of similar like, like uh, outside like, of everyone like, kind um, of view yeah like yeah. omniscient sort of it's a movie unfolding sort of Mm. thing it's really cool I don't think we see that executed well in a lot of novels and sometimes if we do 
it's still like focus so for example if you think about like harry potter it's still very much focused on everything is like what harry's thinking and feeling if you have like a third person thing yeah whereas yeah as you say it's we still very much like behind him of what other people are as opposed to yeah 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 the comparison everybody, to Minnie like everybody's feeling perfect actually that's a very similar style yeah. if anyone's read those it was as a, well or enjoyed this style yeah or if anyone yeah. wants yeah <laughs> if anyone wants a similar style um obviously Midi dark is more rom commy yeah. romance but um it's a, yeah very similar um but yeah it's really hard to categorize this book mm. as you know i would say i would say it leans more towards the sort of contemporary literary stuff that we usually read Obviously, 1960s isn't contemporary, but then sometimes I feel hard categorizing it as historical when it's still 20th century. So um, yeah. I feel weird about saying anything like post World War II is historical. It's a hard line um, of like what's historical now because yeah, the 1960s were still a long time ago. <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of the yeah, 2020s but then like now. then exactly. So then the 1990s would be historical. Yeah, which is also kind of silly. So I don't know. Like, I don't know where that line is anymore. Yeah, it's hard. But I feel like I feel like you need to sort of say like post-war, yeah, era, like post-war era stuff rather than it's like late twentieth century. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's still close enough that it's, it's it shouldn't go in the historical. No, section, but contemporary you know? like is the wrong word. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's um, it's a lot more literary than it's not. It's not literary, but it when I went into it, it's a lot more than I was expecting mm. based on where I was seeing it yeah. everywhere. Um, and I think that proves the power too of like the story and the writing that a more literary than commercial writing, um has obviously just gotten so i mean it is really good yeah it's really good if like us you've been putting off reading it because of the hype we are the first people to do that with a lot of books um and so take it from us it's worth reading yeah we gave it a go (laughs) and we really enjoyed it and here we are and i think one of the things like as i said that i was like how did i just know nothing about this book and like what it was about um, I did know, though, that there was a TV series being made and that Brie Larson was going to be in it, and I do really like Brie Larson. Mm. And then while I was reading it, um, I think the show started airing. I haven't watched any of it yet, um, but I'm really looking forward to watching it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Brie Larson play this character because I think she will do that sort of... Yes. That, like, together, logical, you know... Mm-hmm. calm and like a bit stern kind of like I just think she'll do such a good job yeah I think she'll be amazing I think it's the sort of the way the writing also as we've described mini dark stuff is quite cinematic before mm-hmm. I think that that style lends itself quite well to an adaptation because you already have this insight into what other people are doing and yeah. all that sort of thing so yeah I'm excited to watch it um yeah I think that I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I have read so many books this year that I think when we come to do our wrap-up, we are going to have to be more creative with our categories than just top three fiction, top three young adult. Yeah. Like, I, I We've can't do that. We've got to start brainstorming read... some creative categories right now. Maybe we could do some genres or something or, like, surprises. We definitely need, like, a best debut. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, we need to think of some different yeah, categories. Because I've read nearly I've I've already read nearly sixty books this year, so we really need to Damn, come up with awesome. some categories because I did I count recently. I think I'm up to fifty. I don't so. remember. But anyway, Woo! but yeah. We're doing yeah. well and we'll think of some fun categories and we, we love are. doing our like yearly wrap up episodes and all the recommendations and talking about all of our favorites so i'm getting really excited to do that i know it's so it's getting so close yay um yeah, yeah. isn't it <laughs> funny that by the end of the year i'm like oh i don't want to read anything else that i'm really gonna love like you know that between christmas and new year's you're like oh, i don't want to read anything i'm absolutely gonna love so i'll just read some books i know that are gonna be mediocre <laughs> Or is that just me? Maybe that's yeah, just me. I don't want to mess with the categories. <laughs> I don't want to mess with the things I've picked out already. But also sometimes already. the brain space. Yeah. Yeah, true. Sometimes the brain true. space. It's such a busy time of year. I like a bit, some lighter reads or shorter well, reads or things. I'll be yeah. working. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in a bookshop, so that's fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So with all of that, let's get on to our guest today. Another, like this book in contrast is a very fun uh, comedic book um so yeah it's a bit it's a bit different from lessons in chemistry but yeah overall obviously we loved lessons in chemistry and highly recommend it along with millions of other people yes you just need our extra endorsement now go (laughs) read it guest today worked as a lawyer for many years before turning to writing full-time. She lives in Melbourne with her partner and two daughters and today we have the pleasure of discussing her debut novel, The Opposite of Success. Welcome to Better Words, Eleanor Elliott Thomas. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. We have already essentially started talking about the book before recording as we tend to do so I think we should just get straight into it. Sounds good. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So um, the opposite of success has actually been described as like the Aussie mum version of Fleabag, um, which also to me, I don't know if you've seen this, Eleanor, but um, it sounds very much or it reminds me very much of the show Motherland, um, the British sitcom Motherland, um, just in terms of like the chaotic energy but relatability of the situation um but how do you describe the novel how are you describing it to people yeah um I haven't I haven't seen Motherland I've actually had it recommended to me before so I really must oh my God, make the effort to so see it but um so but I, yeah I'm very happy with the Fleabag uh association though I definitely um I'm a big fan of Fleabag so yeah take that right that's a good one <laughs> yeah I'll take that uh, yeah, so the novel is a uh, contemporary comedy um, and it's set over the course of one day that follows two women who are both kind of approaching 40 and kind of facing some, uh, well, on this particular day, they face a variety of kind of professional and romantic and existential crises. So Laurie is uh, the kind of probably the main character. She's a um, working mum who is kind of languishing in a job that she's been in for a long time that she kind of fell into without really meaning to and now it's 12 years later and she's still there and she's like, what am I doing with my life? And she, on this particular day, she's hoping to get a promotion but she's also not entirely sure that she wants it. So uh, that uh, is one of the main characters. And then the other main character is her best friend, Alex, who uh, is a uh, documentary maker who is a bit, she's single and she's 
quite um, she's quite different from Laurie. She's a bit more kind of um, intense. And um, on the day that the novel is set, she kind of uh, has a bit going on. She's trying to make this documentary about a group of eco-terrorists. And she also uh, has a, finds herself in this very complicated romantic situation with, which also involves Laurie's ex-boyfriend. So, um, and then it all comes to a head at a big work event that Laurie has organized and which doesn't exactly go to plan oh my god it just it just keeps going and going and going and the whole time I was reading this book I'm like what is going to happen at this like launch this like work event that this whole day is leading to I mean I just any part of that is obviously I hope individual parts of the story are not super relatable to people but the whole thing or you think, you know, you get to the end of the day and it's like whatever's on that night, big work event, you've got to like meet family for dinner or whatever. And it's like they just have no idea all the shit you've dealt with all day. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. This used to be yes. me so many times. Remember, I would come to meet you guys after work and I'd just be like, it's been the most crazy day ever. Like, it's just, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not a good day that any of the characters are having. <laughs> no, no one's having a good day. Um, but it is a really interesting uh, structure, I guess, because as you said, the book is technically set over one day. There is a lot of, you know, sort of reflection and we learn a lot about the characters and like everything that's led up to this one day kind of thing as both Alex yeah. and Laurie are like reflecting throughout their days and their background to their friendship and their other relationships. How did that structure like come to be? Why technically one day? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually was only asked this question for the first time last week and and someone asked me and I was like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was definitely a deliberate decision that I made. And it's true that um, a lot of books that I really love um, are set over kind of compressed time periods. Mm. Like the one I had particularly in mind, there's like Christopher Isherwood wrote a book called A Single Man. It's also made into an amazing movie. But um, anyway, that sort of just follows one guy over the course of one day. Um, and I just really like the um, the way that it, you're able to kind of, it's just really kind of compresses every, the intensity quite a lot and also allows someone to kind of have this, like someone who can be living a quite a normal, ordinary life to have like a fairly intense spiral, which is quite mm. fun to, <laughs> well, yeah. not fun for them to live out maybe, but fun <laughs> to write about. Um, so I, I quite liked that aspect of it. Also, I, I realised, I think, when I was reflecting on this question that someone asked me about it, um, that when I started writing this book, um, I went into it with so little concept of what I wanted to do and I imposed basically no rules at all upon myself. Like I was just kind of writing and I didn't have a I didn't have a particular story or anything that I was when I started out that I was going to tell and so and actually one of the first decisions that I made I think was to make it set over one day so that was one of the first things I thought okay well that yeah I don't know it was a constraint in a way that allowed me to kind of go okay I'm working within this kind of time frame what can I do with that so it was it was just a it was a way to kind of I guess shut down the you know endless world of 
possibilities that you have when you're writing a novel like you could literally you're a god you can do anything when you're (laughs) when you're writing a novel you know so it's it's quite good to have some like limitations on yourself about like what you're actually going to do yeah I do actually think that the hardest thing sometimes is when you have absolutely no constraints like obviously some people find like word counts or something obviously don't have that with a novel but in terms of like writing in general some people might find word counts really hard and Mm. stuff but actually I think you can almost be more creative the more constraints you have because otherwise you are like mm. I I certainly start feeling a little bit crippled by the overwhelming possibilities of everything in front of you so if, if yes. you get something that's like if you have those kind of I guess you know creative exercises where it's like you have to write this thing but it has to be in second person or you know you can start kind of pushing the boundaries of what you think you're capable of and actually um I mean you're right like setting a novel over a compressed time period just heightens all the emotion and that makes it more fun for us to you know us to to read and stuff yeah it definitely means that you have to I I guess would then grapple with those questions I would imagine like well how do I introduce like this backstory thing with like how do I fit that within my rule that it's within one day and yeah I mean this is true I mean I guess I did I imposed these limitations on myself that I was writing about one day but then there is quite a lot of reminiscing that goes on Mm. like uh, so there's stuff that you know there are scenes that happen in the past that are kind of written about uh, is the kind of characters and remembering them. I really loved that though. I loved the way it. Oh, great. I really, I actually liked that it wasn't like this is a flashback, but just sort of melded within the story. Like, yeah, but you're not in, pulled out yeah. of it, which I think is ridiculous, which is um, realistic because in, all throughout the day, everyone, right? Hopefully, this is not just me. You think of like anything and you relive the moments. In your head, like so quickly, yeah, you know, like because you were there, you remember, you can remember a whole, like another whole day. And also, or I know Caitlin and I like this. Like... I don't know about you, Eleanor, but like constantly overthinking. There's five different tracks of things in my head that I'm I'm picturing in vivid detail. So that made sense to my brain that you would be like in yeah. Harry, like oh my god and then you yeah. would start thinking about all the things that are annoying you about that or whatever you know so yeah that made sense for my brain yeah well, I'm, glad, I'm happy to hear that because it was it was something that I was kind of grappling with as I was editing it and right well right it kind of just came out in that way and I think that's partly because yeah because that's that's for me how that's how I experience my day it's not like I'm constantly living in the present you know maybe I should be but um I'm certainly like dipping into the past quite a bit as things happen to me so um I um I kind of just naturally I guess wrote it in that in the, the characters were kind of having that experience as they were living through their day um so I'm glad that that read reasonably naturally for you and wasn't a bit like oh god why are we why are we back at this point? Yeah, no, it definitely <laughs> makes sense. And you know, we've um we've sort of referenced that bit that you know where Laurie doesn't get a promotion. That for me is the yeah. bit that will just live in my head forever. I think because like <laughs> it felt a bit like how I felt watching America Ferrera doing her speech in the Barbie movie of like. Yeah, this is yeah. just everything that I feel but said in a much smarter God, way, so even though annoying. she's having a meltdown. I was yeah. like, oh, you've encapsulated yeah. all these thoughts that I've been having and these rants that I've been having to friends about the state of work and everything. And the idea that, you know, I, I mean, part of what Laurie is told is like, you just, 
you, maybe you don't want it enough. Like you don't think you just come to work and you just do your work and that that's it. And like this idea that we have to make work our entire fucking personality <laughs> is mm. so wrong because also like I was mm. reading that going, but I did those things and I still got nothing back. Mm. And that's when you realize it's such a scam. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, so I think that a lot of people relate to that, but <laughs> yeah. Why did you want to explore this in the novel? I mean, it was, I started writing this novel um, like after I had had a couple of small children and like, so I was working as a lawyer and I mean, my, my workplace was pretty, you know, it was pretty family friendly. Like I got to work part-time after I came back from work and, but also my career, my career just did stall a bit because because I did yeah. I found that I wasn't able to do that thing of just like putting everything in my life aside for my job as though that was the only thing I cared about or mattered in the world. So and I say and this I, not I having kids, I've then... just decided that I don't, I don't, I just don't want to. Well, yeah, I just can't well, be asked. I can't well, be asked. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a funny situation because in a way, I I mean, I kind of understand that workplaces, you know, of course they they like it when people are like that, and that when you, you know free you labor. Kind of do prioritize your work <laughs> over everything else. Yeah, but yeah. but it's also when when you're choosing not to do that, but you're also you're doing a pretty good job. Mm. You know, you're coming to work, you're doing the work well, and you're you know um, you care about the work, you're invested, you're giving it like quite a lot of your life yeah. you know when you're there but you're just not kind of making it your whole reason for existence um that sometimes it feels a bit yeah like that that it, I mean it's interesting like I, I kind of wrote that scene it was kind of like Laurie comes out with quite a lot of chaotic kind of it's brilliant <laughs> not entirely like it doesn't make a whole heap of sense necessarily everything to do it's kind of like just this sort of chaotic that, double that of ideas essentially is of the like motherland vibe though that's when I was like oh this reminds me of Julia in motherland yeah, just right. having absolute meltdowns <laughs> like please go watch it you'll love it I think you'll absolutely love it <laughs> I will, I will. I'm, I'm gonna write it down right now <laughs> it's homework yes, after the show yeah I think you'll love it yeah yeah but I do think uh, yeah I do think it's interesting I mean I kind of I think that there's like this element of when you're at the work that you kind of there's a performative element of everybody's mm. jobs where you're kind of there and you're performing in a particular role and being that person with that hat on all the time and but and that's not necessarily like representing who you are or the, on the inside and all the feelings these sort of human feelings that you're having that you're having to put aside and even like those sort of feelings about like your colleagues that I mean it's very it can be quite intense the like peer relationship with your colleagues yeah. just because you're you know, you haven't necessarily chosen to be spending enormous amounts of time with these people, but you're all working together and you have to get along. And so that can be quite, I don't know, it can be quite kind of emotionally taxing in a way. So I was kind of interested in the the way that, um, or what happens when you kind of, you know, I guess the, the private inner person that you are and the performative, like the, not, work I mean, I don't, I don't say performative in a bad way, but like your work yeah. personality, when those yeah. two things kind of come into, you know, te- have some tension between them, or when you're, I guess, when you're in a, your inner weirdo refuses to um, keep quiet and yeah. <laughs> just is let out of the bag in kind of a dramatic way. I'm actually um, just about to finish listening to uh, a book called Strong Female Character by Fern Brady. And it is mainly talking about her experience basically being undiagnosed autistic for like a lot of her life and basically being missed because she is a woman. But she was just, um, the bit that I just listened to this morning was sort of exploring what it was like when she was working in an office and 
how difficult she found it to sort of understand all the social cues. And she um, gave this example of like this boss coming out and being like, oh, it's 5 p.m. Like everybody go home, like go home and get your food and stuff. And like she leaves and nobody else does. And she's like, I don't understand (laughs) because she's like her autism. She's like, I'm taking everything at face value. I'm not reading into any of these things. But it is sort of, it sort of also highlights this kind of weird performative thing that we have of like, someone Mm. then says to her like Mm. oh he's just doing that so he feels better about himself you're not actually meant to leave and like that makes no sense and you know of course someone who doesn't just read those social cues is going to be like what the fuck but we should probably all be like what the fuck because that is weird you know and I remember I remember this feeling of the people who did leave it exactly on the time they were meant to in the newsroom and and didn't like the fool that I was stay back and help out everybody else you know it would be like oh they've really like yeah they do, they're not really pulling their weight are they because like we're all here mm-hmm. in the the shit together and they've just swanned off mm-hmm. you know yeah so they're, they're just they're just working yeah doing the hours that they're paid but when to you're do, like right? the people yeah. pleaser who's like oh my gosh yeah. I should help everybody else out so that it's all better for everybody yeah. because we're all helping each other <laughs> Like it's very hard to break that though when you feel really weird and like you're letting people down when you become the person who's like okay well um it's not my responsibility so I'm gonna go yeah I think I I think workplaces kind of rely on that like that sense of camaraderie you have with like your your colleagues like you don't want to let other people down and and so if the work gives you know your employer gives you like a huge amount of work to do as a team or something even if you don't necessarily feel the loyalty to your overall employer to do that work you feel loyal the loyalty to your colleagues to do it so you end up working much greater or spending much more time at work than you're actually being contractually obliged to do um yeah so just thinking about it whether it's answering an email or you know like I found myself getting quite anxious about work like just before we moved overseas and I was driving home one day and I was like why do you care you're moving overseas in three weeks like it is not your problem you know and it's it, yeah. but it is this collective <laughs> sense that you should all care and I guess if you're that type of person like we are you do take it on a little bit and and it's it's really hard Mm. to stop yourself naturally wanting to to be the team player because that is seen as such a good thing yeah Yeah. and also if you're I think if you're a woman in particular if you're not if you don't do it you get punished Mm. for it it's not like you're just doing it because you're I mean you you are doing it because you're a nice person but also if you you know if you're not uh if you're seen as someone who is not like that um and maybe this is true for everyone but I think it's Particularly true for women. And I imagine particularly true for like parents as well or working mums. And we we can't speak to that, but like this idea that, you know, of course, once you have kids as well, like you definitely need to switch off after work. Like you definitely need to be, I guess, separating the two more. I think I do. I think it's a bit of a mixed um, thing, actually, because I I think when you have kids as well, it's like there, there is something that just like there's no way that you can put it aside sometimes you can't just go oh I'll just let my kids you know put themselves to bed <laughs> yeah, or exactly. you know take walk home well, exactly. yeah, on their own. Yeah. you know it's like you've got to you actually have to have there's to leave a much like, harder you, you don't have a choice like, yeah like you yeah, have so to leave like from, to pick them up from school or whatever like there's yeah. there's no option to stay late because you just have to yeah go. but did you ever feel That's a bit right. of a I, like I do think sometimes workplaces 
yeah, like they they put more kind of like I think it's like I remember like like before having kids. I think when you don't have that, I mean, you might have very valid things that are incredibly important to you, but it's like you know you the rest of your life, you know, your whole life. But it's it's harder to say, it's much harder in a way to say, oh no, I can't do that oh, for your work because you don't have you can't you can't say actually I literally can't do it because my child my child will be alone neglected on the street and I I think too sometimes though that is true of um if you don't have kids and you work maybe like shifts or something there's this expectation that the people who don't have kids might be like well yeah I'll work over Christmas because like I don't have kids and stuff Mm. and it's like actually maybe you just don't want to work over Christmas but like it's it's almost seen as like a priority thing I think there's so many like nuanced sort of things around you know women in the workplace even back to what you were saying about the performative like work version of yourself in my first job when I was straight out of uni like my first office job five years ago or whatever um I was you know the youngest person in the office and like there was enough for me to do but I was doing it all and everything but like almost every day I would be like I'll just like, what else can I do to look busy until about mm. 5.15? So then I'll leave, even though I'm done all my work at 4.50, but I mm. can't leave then. You don't I don't want to leave first, like, you know, yeah. like, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't, a, know. A lot of, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to all a that lot of, is. A lot of fodder for a novel, <laughs> clearly. It is. I reckon it's a lot of fodder, but I'm interested. I actually don't, don't really read that many. I haven't read that many novels that are set in workplaces that have a kind of the. And maybe mm. it's because you know being in the office is not necessarily, you know, the greatest source of drama. But mm, I don't know. The offices I've like been in really... very dramatic. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> maybe yeah, it's just I journalists. We're naturally <laughs> predisposed to drama. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it's that the the drama. Like if you think about a book set in a workplace, it's like oh well, it's like an it's office rom com or something that's like you know very fun it's not this kind of drama um but yeah clearly there's a lot here um and another topic that we could always talk about forever and ever and ever is exploring female friendships and with Alex and Laurie they've known each other for so long there's been a lot of ups and downs there's a lot of ups and downs in this one day um (laughs) but I wanted to ask you about both of them like where did these characters come from did one of them come to you first or were they together no so Laurie was definitely the first character like she's for me the more the character that I personally relate to more actually Mm. I find her I found her very easy her voice very easy to find I found her very easy to write as a character um she's kind of like very when she's I guess you know has some she's like a working mom and she's very nice and you know she's funny and she's like I don't know. She's she's just a very kind of likable, like kind of easily mm. likable character. And Alex is is an interesting character, I reckon, because I wanted to write someone who was very different from Laurie. Yeah, like she has some similarities in that. In that, I think they're both, you know, they're both smart and funny women and have strong ideas and kind of care about the world, but they have just different ways of being in the world. And I think I was kind of interested in exploring that. I guess you know, just because I'm interested for myself, like you know, you, you make decisions in life, like what you're going to prioritize and what is going to be your I guess the way that you choose to live your life like do you live it you know do you choose to have a family do you choose to you know focus on being happy or do you choose to try to make a big impact on the world do you choose to try to be a sort of externally successful like all these different questions so 
with Alex and Laurie, I guess I wanted to have two different characters who were who took quite different approaches to those things. So they weren't necessarily like super different in their values or anything like that, but more in just how they kind of enacted those um, those values in the world. And definitely when I was writing it, I kind of, I, I started out with Laurie. Um, and, you know, as I said before, I kind of went into this book without, with, <laughs> without yeah, very much idea what I wanted to write. Just kind of, I was like, I'll just start writing and see what comes. And it did become obviously more deliberate as the book went on. But um, I had kind of written the start, like about 30,000 words, or maybe not quite that, I don't know, 20,000 words maybe of Laurie and of her character. And I was like, I think I just needed a different, I need to be in a different voice for a while and to kind of explore something else. I thought it would just be a bit too much to have this one character kind of intensely for whole book, for the yeah. whole book. So that's why I went with having the two protagonists. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that as well, actually, because it is, I don't know how many words it ended up being, but it is, you know, you're a slightly decent chunk of the way into the book before it does change. It's not like alternating chapters back and forth a lot. We, only swap maybe three or four times between mm. these two characters, which is, yeah, just again, another interesting choice really as you're kind of going back between their days and their perspectives. You know, you learn a whole lot about one or both of them and then get to swap to the other. And I did, I mean, I did think about as I was writing it, well, actually it was, it was not so much while I was writing about it, but while I was editing it, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should chop it up a bit towards the start and have it a bit more kind of back and forth between the characters mm -hmm. rather than having the, yeah, as you say, there are quite, there are two quite long parts to the book. Um, so the first one with Laurie and then the next one with Alex um, yeah. to, to begin with. And I think I ended up deciding, I mean, I did, I did chop up, I did move things around a bit while I was editing, but I, I, I just didn't, it, the, the flow of it just didn't really work if I kind of broke it up too much between those characters at that point. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a deliberate choice when I was writing it, but then once it was written, I was like, I, yeah, that that is that's just is what it is. <laughs> so I just went with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what happened, and that's what we've got. Yeah, it works. Yes. It works. That's fine. <laughs> um, so we'd love to talk to you a little bit more, I guess, about your writing journey and stuff now. So you also have a Substack, um, as do we, and it has like the best name, which is what is this? Who am I? Please help. Um, which I love. So you're writing about pop culture, TV, books, that sort of stuff. Um, obviously sharing a little bit about, you know, the book updates and things like that. And, yeah. you know, we doing this podcast, talking about all this stuff, like we love how, you know, reading things, how talking about them can inspire us, having these conversations can inspire new ideas and stuff. Um, but obviously it's, it's sometimes different when you're the one who, is putting something out in the world that that might be reviewed. So how do you yes. sort of feel about it's the creator of the content? Yeah, like how do you feel about like review culture and stuff now that you're also on the mm. other side of it a little bit? Yeah, it is it is funny, isn't it? Um because I guess as a as someone who's written a novel that is now out there and people can form form opinions about, um it's it is funny when I write my Substack, I guess I, I do have that a little bit in my head. I think, oh God, what if the writer, you know, reads this, you know, like yeah. it does it does I think that obviously has to play a role in your thinking to some degree when you're writing about things I tend to um probably maybe for that reason most of the books that I write about in my Substack tend to be international books maybe because I feel like they'll, they'll never hear about me I'm just a writer in Australia <laughs> well, I don't know the internet definitely doesn't exist <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but I mean, also as someone who's who's just published a book um, and you know dealing with the whole like I guess that thing of people are putting their opinions out there and. I feel like you just need to, I mean, it, it does feel like a vulnerable thing to do, but you just need to, to be able to live with it, you know, and just kind of take the, take people's opinions as they come. And I mean, what part of the, part, something that's actually helped me is that while I was writing the Substack, I went and I did some research on Goodreads. I looked at um, like all the one-star reviews that like Jane Austen got for Pride and Prejudice <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and like, you know, War and Peace gets one-star review, you know, like every book out yeah, there, like. Yeah is going to have the haters basically yeah. you know not every every single book that is ever written is going to have people that love it or and well ideally people that love it but it will definitely have people that don't love it even yeah. if it's an amazing book you know so and I actually think like is I it think... sometimes better to have something that's really polarizing and has people who either love it or hate it or is it better to have something that you put out that's like yeah it's okay like I think I don't know what I would rather. I don't, I don't know. That's just, I'm just putting it that. Yeah. That's a tough question. Yeah. Like, is it better to have something that's like, okay, but maybe a bit forgettable or like you either loved it or hated it? Yeah. I I personally feel like maybe it's easy to say now because I haven't had many reviews yet, but um, (laughs) I personally feel like I'd prefer people to have some sort of strong reaction to it rather Mm. than I kind of just do like, eh, whatever, you know? So, it, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably different for everyone, though, because I'm sure, you know, if I get some sort of, like, searingly harsh reviews, I might I might be like, I'll, I'll take those three stars, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never mind, hard. take it back. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things yep. you can never know until you are in that situation. Even then, I guess, not really ever know. Yeah. How has it felt reading first reviews like when when they were coming in like before the book was published or now since it's been published well I've really it was mainly it's mainly been reviews on goodreads so far I've had a like a like a couple of reviews from like readings and things like that but I haven't had any kind of I guess broader industry reviews yet but um yeah reading reading the actually I'm pretty fine with it like it was it is a funny experience though because you especially when I think I had this very dreamy experience of like writing I wrote this book and like literally a month after I'd, well, maybe not even a month. It was very soon after I'd finished my second draft of it. I was thinking about sending it to agents and things like that. And I'd send it to friends and they'd give me this really good feedback. And then I had like a friend of a friend who worked at a publisher and he emailed me and was like, oh, I heard you're writing a novel. Can you send it to me? And then I sent it to him and he was like, oh, we want to publish it. So <laughs> this like ridiculously smooth oh my God. publishing Journey, that's the right? publishing and, journey and, story that's like dreamy that's insane it's extremely dreamy yeah like <laughs> so I, I didn't have any um I didn't have any like knockbacks and rejections with with this book anyway so I mean I've certainly like written short stories and things and had people reject things before but um yeah so it was interesting and then like yeah so I had my publisher was very enthusiastic about the book you know they they gave me this two book deal it was like oh it's great you know anyway so I'd had very very everyone saying nice <laughs> things all the time and then it, it kind of went out as a sort of advanced review copies and it was mainly people just giving me star ratings on Goodreads and some of, you know, like, you know, people mostly, I mean, mostly fine, but also, yeah, quite a lot of like three stars and things like that. And I was like, oh, oh, so not everyone thinks that I'm a genius. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to like readjust my expectations a little. (laughs) I mean, not that I was like, my conscious mind was definitely not expecting that everyone was going to, you know. There's still yeah, part love, of you that hopes that yeah. isn't there. There's still part of you that's yeah. like, maybe I'm, you could be the one. maybe I'm different. I could be the one. Yeah, you could be yeah. that one. That's so interesting because I guess most people 
like by the time their first book is published, likely have had um, critical feedback or criticism from or rejections from publishers, agents, even if like it's the same story that ended up being signed and mm. published. Like there's likely been, you know, there might have been something crazy that needed to change in like a big structural edit or they could have thrown out a book completely and something different gets them published the first time and yeah all of that feedback and so then when you do see maybe yeah a three-star review yeah. on goodreads and you think oh well that's okay like i can handle it and yeah, you're a bit hard yeah maybe that, that is like the first i was just going out there like a little baby yeah. baby rabbit out in the world you know? <laughs> Expecting people to love me. Oh, <laughs> um, oh my no, it really wasn't it's... that bad. It was fine. It was just like yeah. you, know, you kind of you, you look at these things and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, you kind of like, okay, people are going to have different views about this thing that I've written, and that's that's totally fine. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I, I, I mean, there are books that I that I read that I don't necessarily like, um, but I can still see that they're good books. You know, I can, yeah. I can go, I, can, I know why other people like that. Yeah, it's not for me, but I know why other people like it. Yeah. So I'm, yeah fully prepared to accept that other people will have that experience with my book um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it it should be set on fire and just like burned in mass across libraries yeah, yeah. so terrible you know so I am um, yeah trying oh my to gosh that's such a, I'm, I'm, it's such a unique experience I though I don't think so... we've ever heard anything like I that <laughs> I know it's, I'm a bit embarrassed about it I'm like I sh- you know I, f- I need to do, like work up I feel like you should have worked theory. harder maybe yeah, yeah no <laughs> Oh, I mean, back to like a Barbie reference, you know, like when um, at the start where it's like, oh, but everything in Barbie land is wonderful. And I, I forget, I don't think it's the author Barbie. I think it's like the one who wins the Nobel Prize or something. And they're like, thank you. I worked hard. I deserve yeah. this. It's like, that's the attitude you <laughs> yeah. need to have. It's like, it's okay. You still wrote the book yeah. and like went through all of that work and everything. It's just a slightly yeah, different yeah. story than we're used to hearing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll try to take some inspo from Yeah, always from take Barbie. inspo from Barbie, yeah. obviously. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, so in lieu of our usual question, which is how did you get your book deal, um, how did you go from working as a lawyer to, to wanting to write full-time then? Was writing something that was always kind of in the background? Yeah, so it was kind of I'd always, um, basically since I learned to read, I was like, oh, I'm a I'm definitely going to be a writer. I, like, I love writing. I, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I spent my entire childhood just reading books and was completely obsessed and that didn't really change. And then, I don't know, I kind of, then I grew up and I was like. The real like, world was jaded you. I still wanted to write. Yeah. The world jaded me. You've got to do a real like, degree like law. Yeah. Don't yeah. do something frivolous like <laughs> arts. You'll never get a job. Uh, well, you know what? I actually did do an arts degree because I, I enrolled after I finished high school. I enrolled in arts law and then on my first day I dropped out of law school. Nice. But you know, oh, it's so like, funny because I had I all the I had all the advice of like, oh, your journalism such a dead end thing. Why would you ever do that? Um, but then oh. actually, all of my friends, I had a lot of friends who were doing law. The university I went to was really big for law, and so most of the people oh. I knew were doing law, and a lot of them were like it is so hard to get a job in law because there are so many people who do a law degree. Like, so actually yeah. sometimes that advice of, ew, don't be a struggling artist, get a real job. Do like, the stable yeah, no, no. thing. Definitely don't, yeah, like you don't want to have to go through the suffering of a law degree and then not get a I know, I know, people's advice, people's advice, people's advice of like, why don't you do law? I was like, because it sounds boring. Sorry, but it does. Like, well, you know what? I, I thought it was going to be boring. <laughs> 
I thought it was going to be boring when I, when I started, which is why I dropped out of it initially. And then I did this arts degree. And then, yeah, I couldn't get a job. And I was like, all right, maybe I will do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, the friends who said that to me have been employed as, as wonderful lawyers ever since. Um, and likewise, I was also always employed as a journalist. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Just don't take Everybody, anybody's advice. Just do what you want. Yeah. That, is the, that is the takeaway from this. Don't listen to people. Don't listen to people's advice when you're 17. Just do what you want. Yeah, yeah. I think that is sound. Sound well, uh, even though it's advice that people shouldn't listen yeah. to. It's sound yeah. advice. Yeah. <laughs> this is the it. advice you listen to. None of the other stuff. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, but I actually, yeah, I worked in law for like I don't know, 15 years or something, and I actually really, I did really like it, but always, um, always in the back of my mind, I was like, uh, what I what I really love doing, what I feel is my kind of most, I guess my most authentic self is when I'm mm. being a writer. Like I feel like I know myself better when I'm writing and I understand the world better when I write. And obviously, I mean, as a lawyer, you do a lot of writing, but it's a very different very sort different, of writing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty different. What uh, kind of law did you do? So uh, I was actually a human rights lawyer for most Amazing. of that time. I was working for the um, Victorian government doing kind of yeah, looking at human rights from that perspective, which was really, I mean, it, was, that is I mean, it was an amazing. Stuff. That's very, that's not just yeah. like I did wills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was probably for me anyway, it was definitely like the more interesting, like end of law. And I really, I did really like my job, but I'd always had this kind of sense that there was this thing that I, other thing that I really wanted to do that I hadn't done. And then I kind of, I turned 40 and I had like this, like, period of going oh my god if I don't write a book now I'll never write one so I so I started writing it uh, while I was working and I was just writing it on my commute to and from work for a few months and then COVID happened and then I was really busy and I wasn't commuting because we were all working from home so I stopped altogether but then um because I I don't know I ended up having like a big amount of leave saved up that I took off and I decided that I had this period that I was taking off work and I was gonna finish this novel or die trying essentially so um (laughs) That's um that's kind of what I did, and then and then I got this surprise publishing deal, and I thought, oh, and because I've got a, it's a two book deal, so I've got to write the second novel. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity in my life to just take this leap and just at least for this period to just concentrate fully on writing. And I'm really, I, I mean, I love it. I really love it. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm certainly not ruling out crawling back to the workforce and yeah. begging for my job back, <laughs> but um, at the moment, I am really loving just doing the writing amazing that's so yeah cool. that's so awesome I'm so glad that you pursued it and like went back to what you'd always sort of yeah. really been excited by and stuff um can you kind of give us any insight into the next book at all oh yes is it too early for that or yeah. oh, oh look I'm sort of I'm like maybe a third of the way through the book but I'm very I'm still similarly to the first one I'm kind of just feeling my way into it and just figuring it out so it's mainly it's a somewhat similar genre it's kind of comedy again probably maybe not quite as comic I don't know I'll see how ridiculous I feel as I write it um (laughs) and it's kind of about this this time I'm writing about kind of sibling relationships um rather than Mm. office relationships so my brother's feeling very nervous (laughs) (laughs) that's so fun oh no yeah we that's the other we've had many conversations about like siblings and novels and things on that because I have a sister and a brother and Michelle is an only child and so we always are like she's like it's so interesting and I'm like but it's just what they're like you know like <laughs> this is just real yeah it's so families good. are so interesting just the way so different, you know different children can be so different you know to each other it's yeah it's interesting can I ask you about genre then because you said like oh same genre like 
contemporary comedy and everything was how you described um opposite of success earlier um mm. i think i read one of the reviews i don't know if it was the readings one or maybe like books and publishing or something like that mm. that described the opposite of success as like in between like sad girl lit and commercial women's fiction or something mm. like that how do you feel about the sad girl lit kind of label Oh, look, I mean, I feel like any woman who publishes a book. Yeah. <laughs> it is so like I don't know, it gets called sad girl I mean, at this it didn't, stage. It didn't I mean, feel it, like I don't understand either. probably. Yeah. Yeah, no. it doesn't feel like no, that. No, not re- I mean, it, it definitely felt more comedy to me, like more like more on that end of the side. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's I definitely didn't, I, I don't really identify it with the sort of like the, the Sally Rooney end of things. It's, no. Um, I probably, yeah, I mean, I found actually found it different, difficult when I was, when I'd sort of written it and I was thinking about pitching it to agents and things like that, I was like, oh, what is this book? Mm. Like it's kind of, um, and as I was writing it, I actually didn't even occur to me that I was writing a comedy until like I was half, probably near the end. I was like, oh, I'll just, maybe it happens to be funny. I don't know. It was a funny, I think that's just how my it kind of voice naturally comes out, I think. But um, yeah, I probably, I, I mean, genre, I mean, it's all so hard and the boundaries between these yeah. things are just so fluid, I think, that, yeah. I, can, I mean, on one level, I can understand why the reviewers kind of saying, okay, it's sort of partly in that zone of mm. sad girl lit because it's about women having crises, um, I guess, yeah. but also, and also like the commercial women's fiction, like Leanne Moriarty, it's mm. like domestic dramas mm. and stuff like so I, I kind of get it. But Yeah, you can see where people are coming from, but it is interesting to think about these, you know, those kinds of labels that we put on books. And um, it's reminding me, actually, Michelle, do you remember when we interviewed um, Meg Mason about Sorrel yeah. Bliss? Because that was being called, I don't think we were quite using the term sad girl lit kind of stuff yeah. yet, but like that millennial novel, sad millennial novel. I feel like we were, millennial was being thrown in there and it was like a slightly different term before this yeah. sad girl lit that now I don't it remember. It was sort of like a crazy. Sally Rooney sort of style, but for women in their forties. Yeah, like, like millennial. Sort of, but yeah, yeah, but the thing that um, Meg Mason kept saying is she's like, I don't understand where the millennial thing is coming from. The characters are like 40, they're, they're Gen X. <laughs> it's like wrong. <laughs> they're older than that. Yeah. You know, like, because yeah, similar to that Sally Rooney thing, she's like, they're not teenagers mm. or in their twenties. Yeah. Like this is not quite the right label. Um, yeah. But these funny little I don't labels. Know if, I don't know if men, it looks like by or about men get, labeled in the same way i think they just <laughs> they get don't. put into like they're either like crime or they're, they're just like, literature yeah, you know, literature. yeah. yeah. yeah or sometimes yeah. they do write comedies as yeah well, but, but it's yeah. never like <laughs> it's never like but yeah domestic they're not um... comedy featuring a strong female character you know that sort of like very granular level yeah. of stuff yeah exactly yeah. these like minis like these like genres within genres that we're talking mm. about yeah that doesn't happen to men maybe we should start doing that what kind of mini genres can we well, come don't up even with read that many men? books by men so it's a bit hard isn't it <laughs> because well the, the books the books yeah. we tend to read by men are like queer queer like lit so mm. yeah it's kind of funny isn't it um yeah <laughs> it is like yeah i i've tried I've, i realized at some point that i was just reading all these women writers and i was like i'm gonna make a I'm gonna make an effort. To we need to give the men a look a in. We really three. need to let read. the men have a look in. Yeah, they need, need our, help, our help. The men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they just can. That's all they can do to continue the yeah. Barbie yeah. reference. <laughs> I know. I was like, how many times can we reference? Their Barbie, job is book. <laughs> That's what yeah. they get. They're like, this man wrote a book. Yeah. 
Yes, well done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh. gosh. Um, to finish up, because I don't know, I mean, maybe we just haven't yet, Michelle, but I feel like this season, at least of our podcast, we haven't spoken to as many debut mm. authors. And so I want to ask, what was the thing about like the publishing process and journey and everything from deal to, you know, launch and books on bookshop shelves? What surprised you apart from how long it takes? Yeah, was, or apart <laughs> from actually getting the surprise book deal, like apart from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was what surprising. I was like, it's really easy surprise. to get a book deal. Why do people keep complaining about it? <laughs> You just write a novel and someone publishes it. Um, and someone like asks you about it and then they just take it on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was probably, that was the most surprising part for me. But mm. uh, I, I think actually I have had quite a few friends who work in publishing and other yeah. writer friends and that sort of thing. So I think I probably have seen this kind of process from the outside a few different times. Yeah. Um, so I kind of had some idea about what it was going to be like. I actually think that maybe I wasn't quite prepared for how crazy it makes you feel like doing it. It's a very, I don't know, it's just a weirdly sort of new type of stress for me, this idea of kind of, because it is really, you're putting something that you've created out into the world for people to you know hopefully enjoy and possibly yeah. judge and um judge you you know it's kind of like a a, a very sort of yeah as I think I said before a vulnerable experience mm. I I thought that I would be I don't know I guess because I've been in the you know working for a long time and you know dealing with you know people giving me feedback on my work for ages that I would be on my kind of legal work I thought sorry I was just gonna say do you think you were more willing to like let it go yes in a way yeah yeah Yeah, so it's um it has been it's been sort of more kind of emotionally challenging and something not that not that I've been having breakdowns all year or anything but it just like it hasn't been I was expecting it maybe to be easier than it was interesting I think that's totally fair normal like the again we've heard time and time again like once it's once it's out and you're like oh no I can't change it anymore like editing's done it's printed it just will exist like that you know books don't get updated unless they're you know changing characters of Ina Blyton like changing names of Ina Blyton characters or something Mm. (laughs) which I feel like we talked about in our last interview and I don't know why (laughs) yeah I don't remember why that came up again, but that's my example. You know, yeah. those kids aren't I, yeah, named Dick and Fanny anymore. <laughs> it's definitely weird to have something that you've been editing and working on for so long. Mm. Suddenly it's out of your hands. Yeah. It's it, like, yeah. cause I've been having still ideas about things. That I'm like, Oh, I could have, I could have made a joke about that. You know, yeah. like I kind of, yeah. I still, I still, it's hard to let it go in that way. It's, but it yeah. is hopefully, I, hopefully I once we get go. more into the next book, you, you can sort of let it go a bit and yeah. you get lost in the, the yeah, new world. Yeah. Kind of just like something move on yeah yeah. Yeah. uh well thank you so much for joining us it has been such a pleasure can you let people know where they can find and follow you online please sure so uh well my substack is just eleanor elliott thomas at substack or substack.com um and yeah the 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 name of my substack is weirdly what is this who am i please help and my instagram is the other place that i'm pretty easily found which is just Similarly, just Eleanor Elliot Thomas. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been delightful. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.